You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 205. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you this week. We have a busy show, and I will start with a brief segment on gold. The little yellow metal surged to within a stone's throw of its all-time high this week. I will explore the picks and shovels approach to investing in the sector and highlight a favorite we have been recommending to clients over the past two years to participate in gold's run. That company is profitable, dividend-paying, small-cap, geodrill, symbol GEO on the TSX, which has seen its share price jump over 120%. In our Your Stock Our Take segment, Brent Brett answers a question on <laughs> who the hell is Brent? <laughs> uh, in our Your Stock Our Take segment, Brett answers a question on Reitman's Canada Limited symbol RIT.A or RET.A on the TSX Venture, a Canadian retailing company focused on women's clothing under the brands Reitman's, Pennington's, and RW and Co. The stock has had a strong run over the past year after emerging from bankruptcy protection. Brett gives you his take on the run. Next, in our Your Stock Our Take segment, Aaron answers a viewer question on Consolidated Water Co., symbol CWCO on the NASDAQ, which operates water treatment plants and distribution systems specializing in seawater desalination and water treatment facilities. The company also manufactures and services water-related products and provides services to commercial municipal industrial water treatment plants. The company saw its share price jump this past week on solid earnings. Aaron gives you his take on this interesting stock. In our your, in our stars and dog segment, Brennan, star of the week is Chinese tech giant Alibaba Group Holdings, symbol BABA on the New York Stock Exchange, which jumped 13% last week after announcing it will split its business units. His dog of the week is Verd Agritech Limited, symbol NPK on the TSX, which is down 50% over the past three trading days. Verd Agritech is an agricultural company which produces and sells fertilizers in Brazil and internationally. Brennan lets you know why the stock has dropped so sharply over the past week. So let's get to the show. I'd like to welcome my co-host, Aaron and the killer bees, Brennan and Brad. How are you guys doing? doing right, well. thank you. And where's Brent? That's what I want to know. Where is this Brent guy? We'll that have to get him on. on. Thank you. More. Brent is Brennan's dad, right? This is true, and he's at home right now. Mm. Should I get him on? Can we bring him on the show? We could guest caller. Guest yeah, caller. Well, call in. Call in next week, Brent, <laughs> yeah. and we'll talk to you. All right. Well. Uh, Interesting week. This week, we released a new report to clients, which we'll talk about next week in a full segment. It will. It was a first for our research. It's entitled Keystone's 2023 Cash Investment Product Report, where essentially to park your cash 
in your portfolio for the highest returns. Now, why did we do this? Well, one question we often receive from clients is what they should do with the cash component of their broader portfolio. This can apply to someone who is just starting their portfolio building journey, uh, those with an existing portfolio that holds, say, 5 to 10% in cash, or those who are fully invested but have recently sold shares in a company and need a place to hold cash while they look to redeploy those funds. With interest rates rising and uh, you know, the, it's a time to look at these type of investments. The report describes rates um, and recommends a number of simple, highly liquid, low risk and low cost investment vehicles to park your cash and earn between four to five percent right now. Far better than the minimal return you'll get in a savings account. We'll show you how to deploy that in the report. And we'll talk about that more next week. We don't want to. Our clients got it over the course of this week. They can have a look at it, tear through it, start investing in those, and we'll talk about it next week. So, guys, how are you doing? Have you guys even said anything yet? I don't even. I don't even know nope. if anything's come out Have of you your given mouth. Us an How's it going? That's true. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't like to. Nobody wants to hear you well, guys, man. anyway. So, it's true. Well, uh, I think we can start. We might as well dig right into it this week, unless you guys had something you want to talk about. Gold is skyrocketing, and I got a segment on that. And let's just go ahead with it. Yeah, Let's do away. that. Gold extended gains above $2,000 US an ounce uh, this week on Tuesday as the dollar yields fell while weaker US economic data, data kind of emboldened bets for slower rate hikes despite mounting concerns over oil-led inflation. So the precious metal, the little yellow metal gold is now roughly $35 away from trading at an all-time high of U.S. dollars. It's $2,075 per ounce. That was reached in August of 2020. Now, one approach we have used to participate in growth of a sector, particularly highly risky sectors like gold, is known as the picks and shovels approach. So what is a picks and shovels approach? Well, essentially an investment strategy that invests in the underlying technology or the service or tools needed to produce a good or service instead of the final output. It is a way uh, to invest in an industry without having to endure the risks of the market for the final product. Now, this investment strategy is named after the tools needed to take part in the California gold rush, which is appropriate for our case study today. While the allure of finding the next great gold mine is always sexy, it turned out the most profitable business during the 19th century gold rush was actually just to be selling the tools every starry-eyed miner needed to find gold. The picks and shovels providers were the ones actually getting risks, not those actually mining for gold. So we use that approach today. With the price of gold poised to hit all-time highs, we update listeners on a stock we have recommended to our clients over the past two years, which provides the tools necessary to find and increase the life of gold mines. That company, Geodrill Limited, symbol GEO on the TSX. It was recommended in February of 2021 at a price of $1.60. Closed today around $3.50. The stock is up 33.21% year to date in 2023 and up over 120%. Uh, including the dividend since Keystone recommended it in uh, at a dollar sixty in 2020. Now the market cap is 163 million. It yields its dividend payout is, or pay is uh, 1.71 percent. What does Geodrill do? They were established in 1998. They are a mineral exploration drilling company. Uh, 
that primarily in the gold related sector in West Africa, Zambia, and Peru, it offers reverse circulation core, air core, deep directional drilling, reverse circulation, grade control, water borehole, underground mine blast hole, and horizontal drilling services. Everything you need to find a mine and extend the life of that mine. The company's current fleet stands at 76 rigs. That's up one versus the Q3 2022, with an additional rig being manufacturers and four currently being rented. It will bring the total to around 81. Approximately 60% of the fleet is tied up to existing customers over the next three to five years. GeoDrill continues to expand globally, having signed its first contract ever recently in Chile as well as two new contracts in Egypt. The company's client mix is made up of senior, intermediate, and junior exploration companies. So what is driving the share price over the last couple of years? Well, strong financials this year. In 2022, um, these figures are in US dollars. Revenues were up 20% to 138.6 million. Net income jumped 34% to around 41 cents per share. That's 56 cents, roughly Canadian. Uh, they ended the year with net cash, uh, excluding right of use liabilities of about $9.8 million. They delivered $0.06 cents in dividends to investors in 2022, compared to around $0.02 cents Canadian in 2021. Now, what else is driving it? Well, the surge in, in the gold price of late from its lows in November in the range of U.S. dollar $16.30. Gold has risen 25% to about 2040 uh, that's a significant rise in four months and bodes well for capital inflows into the sector at present. The more money that is raised that goes into the sector, the more money goes into drilling and a company like GeoDrill can benefit from that. Now, our take here, while the stock is up over 120% from our recommendation, on a valuation basis, GeoDrill still trades at 5.8 times 2023 expected earnings and 2.65 times its expected 2023 EBITDA. A client recently asked if we saw GeoDrill as a takeover target. Well, firstly, we never make an investment in a company based on it being just a takeover target, as that is highly speculative. Having said this, if we're going to go down partially, at least down that path, in terms of acquisition equivalents, there is not an exact comparison, but major drilling, MDI on the TSX, the largest driller in this segment, acquired a company called McKay Drilling PTY Limited a leading specialty drilling contractor. It's based in Perth, Australia. It paid around 75 million Canadian in 2021. The transaction was at approximately 4.7 times EBITDA. GeoDrill will have more than double um, its EBITDA this past year. It had more than double, so it likely deserves a slightly higher multiple. GeoDrill currently trades at 2.65 times 2023 expected EBITDA. So there's your comparison. We would not buy GeoDrill or any company strictly based on a takeover target as this is a poor strategy, but uh, it gives you the comparison there. What we do know is that GeoDrill is likely to post record earnings again in 2023, and this has driven the, driven the share price over the past year, and the current execution is strong. It continues to be a unique way to gain exposure to the gold price without the geological and technical risk of mining. Again, it trades at about 2.5 times 2023 expected EBITDA. It's below its peer group in the Americas and Australia, which is likely not justified by the business fundamentals. And that is my take on a picks and shovels way of participating in 
the gold segment. And clients have been receiving a dividend that is growing. Um, like in 2021, GeoDrill ended up paying out two cents for the year, I believe, in dividends. In 2022, they ended up paying six cents per share. Uh, and this year, we're looking at they just ended up uh, increasing their semi-annual dividend to four cents. Uh, so we're looking at eight cents uh, per share this year. So, you know, we're seeing them grow that dividend, which, you know, is is bringing in, you know, long-term investors to, to the story as well, rather than just traders, you know, which is always something that we like to see as well. And I mean, I always like just sitting back, collecting some dividends. It's especially when the market's, you know, getting hammered or whatnot. It's always, it's always nice, you know, seeing those. Yeah. Uh, and they keep getting increased. Exactly. Uh, so your effective yield, like you said, yep. goes up over time, which is great to see. Yeah. I, uh, I remember Warren Buffett just on the topic of gold. I remember Warren Buffett several years back in his, um, in his annual report, he was talking about gold and he was running his own valuation on it. Um, and he had essentially boiled it down to, you know, if you were to take all the gold in the world, the entire supply, jewelry, stockpiles, everything else, you're to put it in one place, combine it. Can't remember exactly how big he said it would be, but it'd be about the size of a, of a football field, I think more or less. Or like um, Olympic swimming pool, maybe? Something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. And he he made the point that, you know, it's a nice, shiny, large piece of metal, um, but it doesn't actually do anything for you. You can't eat it. You know, you can't create electricity out of it. It has, you know, minimal industrial value. Um, and then he valued, he, he, he came up with a total value and then essentially, you know, figured out that, you know, you could buy that big, that big block of gold, or you could buy all the farmland in the United States, plus, you know, several of the most valuable companies in the world and have like a bunch of money left over. So this was old. This was many years ago. And obviously the 2012, but just I, I got it, it, it was a tennis court, a tennis there court. You go. It's shocking. It's shocking how small the, the yeah, it's, it's fairly small, right? So I, I just kind of did a, a really quick, although um, it weighs a lot, a really quick analysis here on what that would look like right now. So um, right now, the stockpiles, like the, the combined value of all stockpiles of gold, I think is estimated to be a little over $10 trillion, say um, 10 to $11 trillion. Now, if you were to look at the entire tech sector in the United States right now, uh, publicly traded, that would be valued, I believe, like roughly around five to $6 trillion. Um, if you're to look at all farmland in the United States, so this is Statistica as of 2021. It's a little bit old, but they have a valuation of about $3 trillion. So if you're to say, take the entire tech sector publicly traded, so this is Microsoft, Amazon, um, this is uh, Apple, this is you know a lot of other companies um, that, are, that are huge innovators. You could buy that entire sector for say 6 trillion or that's valued right now for 6 trillion. You add another three trillion, you get all the farmland in the United States. Um, so now you're up to nine trillion dollars, and you still have a trillion dollars left to buy a bunch of jewelry, <laughs> put a trillion dollars worth of gold. I mean, that's what the valuation would look like right now. I'd probably take the companies and the farmland, and uh, you know, I could buy a nice, uh, some nice gold jewelry for my wife. Oh yeah, I mean, I agree. Yeah. Oh, for yourself, the jewelry, myself, let's be honest. Course, right? you know, I, you I bling yourself out. That, that's really that just honestly, that's just a gold tech, tooth, two maybe. to three minute analysis. So, you know, don't quote me on it. But I was just, I was curious because when you're talking about gold, it reminded me of Warren Buffett's valuation. So I figured I would well, look up a couple of the current numbers. 
And I would add just a, like a word of caution investing in commodity-based stocks. It's very risky business. You have all the company-specific risks, essentially, you'd find in any stock, including like looking at the quality of a management team, the prospect for growth in the business, execution on state, their stated targets, the cash flow balance sheet, uh, the price you're paying for the stock at present. And you have the market risk, including general market sentiment and like economic conditions. Plus, you have the commodity risk. Typically, if the commodity stock produces or the, the, the com- commodity the stock you're buying produces or is associated with, if it goes higher, the stock does well. If the commodity moves lower, the stock does poorly. The degree to which the stock underperforms or kind of overperforms this can depend on the quality of the company, yes. But the general direction is driven by um, the commodity price. So even if management of a gold company does everything right, I say this all the time, in a year, if the price of gold moves against them, it will likely not be a good year for that stock. So, I mean, that is, you have an overlay of risk that's higher than your average stock when you're dealing with the commodity. Or a potash company, uh, like I'll be looking at later. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good. Okay. And uh, I think we'll move on to our next segment is that uh, Brett's going to talk about uh, a company, Reitman's Canada Limited, R-E-T dot A on the TSX Venture, I believe, right? That is correct. You, correct. you, you got it correct this Good. week. Reitman's Canada is a Canadian retailing company focusing on women's clothing under the brand Reitman's, Hennington's, and RW and Co. Reitman's Canada, symbol RET.A and symbol RET on the TSX Venture Exchange. The shares trading under RET carry a voting right and they trade for roughly 427, while the shares under RET.A don't carry that voting right and trade for quite a big discount at 357. It's not unusual for companies to have non-voting and voting shares, but it is unusual for them to have a 70 cent price difference in, the, in this case, which is roughly, let's say, 20% or so. It's And it's merely just the voting right divot difference is you're not getting a dividend difference like you'll see in some share structures one-to-one except for the voting rights so it's a quite big difference for that but the voting shares are still largely in control of the Reitman family giving them control over the company so they don't trade nearly as much as the non-voting shares so they're generally a better price comparison so that's probably using for my PEs and so on Reitman has been struggling since 2020. The company filed for protection from creditors under the company's Creditor Arrangement Act, or CCAA, in May of 2020 at the height of COVID. After 19 months, the company emerged from restructuring, shedding roughly 160 stores, two brands, and 1,400 employees. The company now has roughly 404 stores across its three ongoing brands. Moving to the income statement, For fiscal Q3 2023, ending October 29th, 2022, the company has had sales growth of 15.4% to $205.6 million. The company saw both higher transaction counts and higher transaction values, as well as increasing sales due to its growing e-commerce segment, offset partially by net nine stores closings over the years. The company saw significantly higher selling distribution and administration expenses, increasing 28.3% to $102.4 million. The increase was largely due to operating costs and wages and performance incentives, advertising and leases being connected to sales. The result of higher SGNA is a lower bottom line year over year, falling to roughly $0.30 per share for the quarter from $0.45 for continuing operations, 
were using continuing operations as a comparison because the company was still undergoing restructuring during the prior quarter or for in the prior year for the quarter. The company booked a tax expense of only $67,000 for the quarter. And in the previous quarters, it actually had booked a taxable benefit. So they're not actually being taxed right now, and they will be in the future, assuming they continue with this profitability. So you, if one-to-one, all else stays the same, you'd actually see lower earnings as tax actually comes in play. On a year-to-date basis, however, we are seeing slightly better results with sales increasing 24.8% and SGNA only increasing uh, 36.9% and continuing EPS increasing 9.6% to $1.03 per share from $0.94 cents per share. The better results here today compared to the quarter is because the first half of fiscal 2022 was weak given the company was still being impacted from COVID. So it's just comparisons were weaker overall. Moving on to the balance sheet, the company holds $64 million in cash while having lease liabilities of $77 million with no other financial debt like bonds or anything in that matter. As the company is primarily a brick and mortar retailer at this time, the high lease liability it's just not unexpected. It's it's part of the business. Net debt, including leases, is $13 million, give it, it, which is reasonable given the size of the company. And assuming sales don't collapse like they did in 2020, it shouldn't be a near-term risk as it wasn't the balance sheet itself, which was the issue for their initial restructuring. Leases, however, have substantially increased on the books due to the restructuring, shifting leases to a standard fixed-rate payment. From a contingent percentage of sales, this increases the rate of use asset, as well as the uh, liability side of the leases. So overall, it's, it's just really an accounting shift in the number of the leases are relatively similar in purpose. It's just because they shifted from the percentage of sales to a fixed rate, which increases the lease, but it also increases the right of use asset. So overall, it's still re- roughly the same company as far as the actual operations go. Given the recent restructuring, the balance sheet is relatively strong, but that was not the catalyst for its initial restructuring. It was really the evisceration of its sales. So moving to valuation. The valuation metrics are quite weak in validity as the company has shifted significant over the past year. For example, gap price earnings is just over one times. So you can't really use that. That number is effectively meaningless. So as the major restructuring shifts occurred in Q4 2022, we need to adjust some of the accounting fingers. So we're going off non-GAAP at this point, which does normally make things weaker. The main being a settlement in liabilities and a gain of 88.6 million. Once the company exited creditor protection, the result in PE is roughly 3.1 times. Further, the company had a slight taxable benefit. So if we add back taxes at 25%, this is just a rough value, we'd get roughly 4.1 times PE, which is still quite low, but it's not as appealing as if you're just taking the gap earnings, which I have seen some people referencing in articles I read online. Remit is shaping up to be a positive turnaround story at this rate, but still has significant obstacles to overcome at this time. External company, we could see consumer slowdown, in consumer discretionary spending so retail or anything like that is going to be hit if there is a harsh recession or even if there's a mild one they would see a slowdown in that matter as well though internal the company needs to stabilize its earnings the earnings are all over the place which is also why the valuation metrics are weak we're not seeing consistency like the q1 for uh fiscal 2023 was a, a slight loss q2 was about 70 cents then q3 the most recent was about 30 cents so it's quite fluctuating. It's not consistent. They don't have their usual seasonality, which you'd see in retail because of the restructuring. 
So you don't have much to go off of their actual financials in consistency terms. But Q4 does release on April 13th, so we can see if they are able to stabilize their earnings going forward. Who who here has shopped at Reitman's anytime over the last year? Brennan's <laughs> been to many women's stores. Really? He, he, <laughs> no, yeah. no, I haven't. Women's clothing is right up his alley. I had my hand up. Yeah, no, it, it, it's one of the valuations no, I, look I good, although the um, fluctuations okay. of earnings is very concerning. Um, you know, we do have another company, like there's one retailer we have in coverage uh, that we like and have invested in long term. And, you know, I'm not going to say the name of the company today because, our you know, we're, we're actually looking to maybe upgrade it in the near term. Uh, but Reitman's, if you look back to like 2014, for example, when we can start comparing it to this company when they went public, uh, Reitman's was doing 960 million in revenues. Then this company was doing 376 million in revenues. Well, if you fast forward to today, Reitman's is doing 778 million on a trailing basis. This company is doing 2 billion. So gone from 376 to 2 billion. Reitman's has gone from 960 million to 778 million. Um, the valuation you are paying for the company that I'm talking about that we do have coverage is higher, significantly higher. But the consistency in terms of growth, um, it didn't just come up out of receivership, which is always uh, you know a good sign that you're not just coming out of receivership. Uh, so you're paying. You know, on a, on a multiple basis, way higher. I mean, I think it's about 20 times next year's earnings. But, you know, they expect 18 to 20 plus percent growth. Um, and they this company has never closed any of its stores where Reitman's, I've looked at them in the past. There's usually a line item that says stores open, stores closed, and then you have a net store gain or decline in the year. Um, you know, those are because they, you know, the business in those stores isn't doing well. So, I mean, and sometimes when you have a large store base, there's a, a market, the growth in a market they're in fades out. So that can, but a lot of the time it's people aren't buying clothes in those stores. That's the issue, right? So, uh, you know, it, it looks like it could be a turnaround story, but I think it, it, Aaron it, talked it, last it, week about Warren Buffett paying a little bit more for a really high quality business, you know, in the 18 to 20 times paying that range. If you consistently think it's going to grow at 15 to 20%, um, that's a way to compound your income or earnings or investment, sorry, in a company over the long term. And, you know, that's why we would favor this name versus that. Although, you know, as a speculation, you know, we're looking again into Reitman's, but it does have high variability. And that's why it has low valuations because uh, investors aren't trusting the earnings to a degree right now and the business's sustainability long term. Sorry, Aaron, I cut you. You had something to say, didn't you, Aaron? You got nothing to say. <laughs> I thought your screen was frozen there, honestly. Yeah. Like, I, I'm just, I'm just, just going to say that I think he, he looks he, like he, a statue. Retail, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Listen, um, I think that in the retail space, you really need a niche. And the company mm -hmm. that you're talking about in the retail space, I think they have one. Whereas if you're one of those retail companies where you're really, you're just kind of a, you know, you're, just kind of a mid-end, you know, maybe not totally targeted business. You don't have like a bunch of social like influencers a, a posting. Niche market targeted that is that is, you know, yeah, it's it's to me it's it's you know, most of the people that I know, like my wife, who purchases yeah. things um nowadays purchases them online, right? 
So unless there's a reason for you to kind of like walk into like a nice shop or go to some place where you're just, you're getting, you know, you're going to get like an incredibly yeah. good deal. Like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how winners is doing, but you know, something like that. But if you're kind of in that, that mid range, I just think it's hard for retail. And to me, the value, the valuation when it's a business that is struggling or where there's a lot of uncertainty is really, I, I wouldn't even look at valuation in that case. I would focus more on the health of the business because it's really easy, even if even if revenues stay flat, even if revenues go up a little bit, it's really easy for the company to experience enough margin pressure where earnings are cut in half. And then, you know, where where I'm not saying that that's going to happen in this case, but then what what good is the valuation based on last year's earnings? Yeah. There, right. You need to have some certainty that the business is is um, healthy. Um, and that earnings are stable or growing. One, you one thing of note with Reitman's is uh, Brennan's favorite royal, uh, Meghan Markle, was at one point a spokesperson for Reitman. So, I mean, as for him, that's why he was there. <laughs> well, there you go. Now I've on the company. Yeah. This isn't true. But, you know, I just want to even bring up Lululemon yeah. right now. Like, what a great... Chip like, that's, they started in Vancouver. Is that correct? Um, yeah. You know, and... <laughs> Even last week, you know, Aaron was talking about how Warren Buffett said, you know, 12 stocks over 50 years can change, you know, your life. Well, one of my friends, uh, Ryland, his uncle actually bought Lululemon way back. He bought the entire company. And it has absolutely changed his life because of, you know, the game that it has done. He did not buy the entire company, but uh, I mean, he's up over 2000%, you know, over that period. And again, going back, you know, they... They have a, a great niche. You know, they've got influencers. Like my buddy Ozzy was in the store the other day with his girlfriend and they were laughing because all of a sudden out of nowhere, one of the sales clerks got on the, on a table and was like, flash sale, flash sale. All pants are buy one, get t- two pants. And they were like, oh, this is a great deal. This is a one, one time a day kind of thing. Well, they came later that day and I guess every 30 minutes, they have these flash sales mm-hmm. trying to get, you know, consumers in the store to think that they're getting a great I thought you were going to say really, Ozzy was a This is just an ongoing thing. Or he was flashing. Was, I just thought something. that that was kind know. of funny. I, I found yeah, that, that story believable up to the you point. You blanked out after you had that. Friends. Or is, what? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, nah, I can't uh, believe this. The gears are going in Aaron's head. Yeah, he's like, wait a second. <laughs> it's true. Anyways. Let's be serious. Brandon has more rant. friends than me. I don't know about that. You have one friend, Brandon? I've All right. Maybe two. Let's get to, uh, I think Aaron has a your stock, right. our take on. on a water company, right? Correct. I do. Yeah, which I think is uh, is topical because we, uh, we love to invest in businesses that are essential in nature and understandable. And there is nothing more essential to life on earth than water. So why don't we get into this? Okay, so uh, the company that I'm going to talk about here is uh, Consolidated Water Co. It's a U.S. listed company on the NASDAQ under the symbol CWCO. And this is actually a company that I first became familiar with many years ago. Um, I've been following it for a time. We spoke with management. Actually, we had a meeting with them when we were at the Roth conference last year in Los Angeles. Uh, So it's it's. Been an interesting business, but it's it's definitely had some challenges in the past. Um, although recently they just reported their Q4 and full year results, uh, reporting it uh, just last week, 
and uh, they reported record revenues and some very interesting statements and fundamentals. So I felt now is a good time to up the research on it, take another look, and maybe talk about it a little bit on the podcast. So they trade right now at 1675. It's a small cap company in the US, 260 million market cap. And as we said, this is essentially a water company. They, they operate wastewater plants, distribution systems. Uh, they also specialize in seawater desalination, water treatment facilities. Uh, they have a, a, a number of businesses. You could actually divide the, the overall company into four segments. They have their retail water segment. They're the exclusive provider under government license um, of, of water as a water utility in Cayman Islands. They have their bulk water segment in the Cayman Islands and the Bahamas, um, where they produce um, and supply water to government-owned distributors. Uh, they have their manufacturing segment, where they provide a, a variety of design, engineering, um, and management services to commercial clients, municipal and industrial clients. Um, and then they also have their services segment, which is essentially plant construction management and operations. Um, so they just, as I'd said, put out their 2022 annual financials, very strong growth in revenue, record revenue of $94 million, up 41%, um, and strong earnings per share growth as well, 135% growth in earnings per share, up to $0.54. Cents. So we're looking forward into 2023, good numbers in 2022. What are they going to do next or this, this current year? Well, the company in 2022 secured more than $150 million uh, in major multi-year project contracts, which they expect to uh, contribute significantly to earnings in this current year. So this includes an $82 million contract to design an advanced water reuse facility in Goodyear, Arizona, a 10-year $49 million, million contract um, with, the, with the Water Replenishment District of Southern California, to operate and maintain advanced water treatment facilities and a $20 million contract to design, build and operate uh, a new desalination plant in the Cayman Islands. When we look at the company, um, obviously water is, uh, it's a very topical issue, particularly in the investment industry. People want to know how, how do I invest in the lack of supply in water um, as the need for water, the demand for water expands. Um, so there are very few options, this being one of them. There are a couple other companies that we looked at as well, but I've taken a few uh, excerpts from the company's annual or the company's corporate presentation, but what they think their, their long-term opportunity is. So they quote that the, the market for water recycling and reuse technologies is growing at a compound rate of almost 14% expected to hit. $40.5 billion by 2026. Some of the drivers in certainly in North America include recovery of the manufacturing sector, expanding of the global population, and then also growing demand in the agricultural sector. So they are estimating, or it is estimated, there will, there will be a 40% gap between global water supply and demand by 2030. And the United States, where most of their operations are leads the world in investments in water reuse and recycling technology. And then just in the U.S. desalination uh, market opportunity, so desalination, for those that aren't familiar with it, this is converting uh, seawater into drinkable fresh water. Uh, this market is growing at a rate of 8.6% compound annual growth. It is expected to hit $3.2 billion by 2027. So 
Uh, we hear stories a lot in places like Texas, California, and Florida um, that there is freshwater scarcity. Um, so certainly there are opportunities to invest in some of the solutions to that problem. And I've said many times in the past, investing in solutions, intelligent solutions to important societal problems is one way to find um, good opportunities in the stock market. Now, looking at the financial position, the earnings quality, both based on 2022 numbers are very strong. So this is actually a net cash company. They have almost $51 million in cash and equivalents on the balance sheet, negligible long-term debt. That gives them about $3 uh, in net cash per share. Um, also strong earnings quality for 2022. Uh, $8.4 million in reported earnings from continuing operations. Um, but to over $21 million in reported net operating cash flow, and then $13.7 million in free cash flow. So good, strong earnings quality in 2022. And this is something I really wanted to take a look at because um, when it comes to their Caribbean clients, uh, Cayman Islands, Bahamas, um, there can be delays in terms of getting payment from their services. That has been an issue in the past. They have always been paid, but it doesn't always happen in a timely manner. So that's something that we wanted to make note of, but certainly in 2022, obviously they're generating very strong cash flow relative to their reported earnings per share. Now, looking at the company historically, uh, this is where I'd mentioned before, you know, it's not always rosy for the business. Um, there, there's been good, fairly consistent growth in revenue over the years. I know that there was a COVID impact in 2021 and revenue did drop to about 67 million from 72.6 in 2020. Um, but there's also been uh, fluctuations in the company's profitability and their gross profit, also in their net income. So 2022 was certainly a record year when it comes to revenue. It was far from a record year when it comes to profitability, um, which could be an opportunity going forward if, they, if, if, there's, if there's a high likelihood that the company is gonna transition back into historical net profit margins. Valuations. So, you know, the valuation relative to earnings is certainly a premium to the market, trading at a price to earnings multiple of 31 times the 2022 reported earnings from continuing operations. Uh, the cash flow looks better, trading about 12 times cash flow, about 19 times free cash flow. So, what is our take? Well, we think this is a very interesting business. We, we like the idea of investing in water for the reasons I talked about. There are a lot of problems to solve in that space. It's essential. Uh, the current fundamentals do appear to be very strong. And there are several attractive growth drivers for the company and a positive outlook in 2023 and beyond. Um, but on the other side, profitability historically has fluctuated. So it's not been that clean year-over-year -year growth story every year. Um, there is some history of late payments from customers. Uh, certainly not an issue in 2022, or it doesn't seem anyways. Um, but also history of delayed and canceled projects. So I know that there is a huge project that they that they were talking about several years ago in uh, in Mexico to build, I believe, a desalination plant um, that was going to be a big growth driver. It didn't end up happening for a number of political reasons. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, valuation based on trading earnings is not particularly low. Now, what is it going to look like going forward? Well, that's what we need to figure out. So what are the next steps for a company like this? 
Well, we're looking at prioritizing consolidated water in our research list, doing more of a deep dive into the into the future growth prospects. This would include an interview with management and really get a stronger assessment of what the the opportunities and the risks and the growth prospects are over the next two to three years. Now, there there's only one analyst I can see that covers this company. Uh, that particular analyst is expecting huge growth in 2023, which would actually drop the valuation down to a much more attractive level. Uh, of course, we can't, you know, we can't give that any credibility without doing our own research. Um, but uh, we plan to, do, to look deeper on this company over the next couple of weeks here and see what we can come up with. Yeah, it's an interesting business. And I do recall interviewing management at the Roth conference. So we'll reach out to them again and um, push further. I, certainly, we'd like to see, you know, stronger growth this year. I also look into the recurring nature of the business. Uh, they have some projects. I know another water related company we follow, HEO is the symbol um, on the TSX. Uh, you know, they have different areas. Some are recurring. Some of the business is project driven. So, you know, a, a a large percentage of their business is recurring, but they do get these one-time kind of contracts. Uh, and, you know, you got to factor that into whether or not that can continue going forward. And yeah. that would be the same with consolidated water. I mean, if you look at their Caribbean business, I think that most of that is, is fairly recurring utility style, but then they do, they are building plants. Some of these plants, they end up operating, or at least that has been the idea in the past. Um, so that may produce a more recurring revenue. But some of these are essentially just manufacturing as a service um, and maintenance as a service. So it's, it's yeah, yeah it does look like at least there's too. at least one analyst that's looking for strong growth next year. So, I mean, that would be interesting. We'll look mm -hmm. further into that company. Brennan's going to finish off our show with our star and dog segment. It's a, his star is Chinese internet giant Alibaba and your dog is Verd Agritech. I believe we've talked about that company in the past, have we not? Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Um, not too, too much, but yes, we have, uh, yeah. you know, referenced it in the past. So I will start off uh, with the star of the week. So the star of the week is Alibaba Group Holdings Limited, BABA or B-A-B-A -B -A, on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, so the stock gained approximately 13% in the last week, where it now trades at about $98.40 with a $270 billion market cap. And I mean, Alibaba really doesn't need an introduction, but through its subsidiaries, it provides technology, infrastructure, and marketing reach to help merchants, brands, retailers, and other businesses to engage with their users and customers in the People's Republic of China, as well as internationally. So driving the share price gains right now was a recent announcement on March 28th that the company would break up and split into six distinctive units with separate CEOs and their own board of directors. So I won't go through the specific uh, entities here, um, but these are them. And now the, the CEO, Daniel Zhang, he said, the original intention and fundamental purpose of this reform is to make our organization more agile, shorten decision-making links, and respond faster. So they're thinking that maybe, you know, Alibaba with all of the units together is maybe, you know, a little clunky. So they're thinking of make, maybe making it more agile. However, the revamp comes a day after Alibaba founder Jack Ma returned home from a year-long stay abroad. And by paving the way for Alibaba's various new units to list, uh, analysts and 
commentators believe the Chinese government may be signaling less hostility towards its tech giants, which is a very, very different approach than uh, what it has taken over the past three years. Now, for shareholders of BABA, there remains little clarity on how and whether the new entities will be spun off. But regardless of whether China wants to be seen as more tech friendly, we still see huge risks with investing in the country. So this is seen as, sorry, being more tech friendly? That is what they're saying. Yes, it is being more tech friendly. Are you able to like get more insight into that? Because usually breaking up a large tech company is... Well, Street is is the opposite. It's a good point. This is a good point. I mean, this was from a Reuters article, so I mean, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um. You know, and these are just general analyst comments. Um. I think. You know, maybe I should look into it deeper, and uh, you know. No, I mean, I I I just that's the opinion of Reuters, so that's that's fine. I'd just be curious to 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 know because I would I would say you know to me breaking the company up. I guess here, here is the thought. So basically Alibaba's growth has went to nothing basically. And analysts are worried that, um, be, you know, because of what the Chinese government is doing, this growth has basically went to nothing. So now they're saying that now that the Chinese government is allowing them to kind of break off in different pieces, it's actually opening up for more growth in the tech market. So I guess that is my general understanding of what these analysts and market commentators are, are thinking and saying. So um, basically the government in China is going to take their foot off of Alibaba's yeah. throat or the companies that come from, okay. In theory. In theory, <laughs> yeah. As long as they don't make any, you know, negative or ambiguous comments about. Exactly. And that, that, that article was, was yes. probably on Reuters, not Reuters, right? Thank you. Thank you, Reuters. <laughs> Sounds like Roto Reuters oh, was putting it. out an article on that. But no, it's yeah, Reuters. Good. All right, let's let's move on to our dog of the week. That is Verd Agritech. I think Brennan has something very interesting to say about this company. So we'll look forward to that. Yeah, thanks for uh that on, on Reuters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Anyways, Verd Agritech. Uh so the this the ticker symbol for this stock is NPK on the TSX, and the stock was down over 50% in the past three trading days, where it currently trades at about $2.66 and has a market cap of about $145 million. So Verd Agritech is an agricultural company which produces and sells fertilizers in Brazil and internationally. Uh, the company offers multi-nutrient potassium fertilizer uh, under multiple brand names. As well, it holds a 100% interest in the Cerrado Verde project, uh, which is the source of potassium silicate rock that includes about 30 granted exploration permits covering an area of 45,000 hectares located in Brazil. Um, So moving on here, so driving the decline essentially was uh, the 2022 results and guidance. So uh, if we look Generally, year over year, the financial results looked good with revenue up 190%, EBITDA up 271%, and EPS up 386%. However, the company missed its 2022 guidance substantially, where you can see over on the right-hand side, their original guidance provided in January of 2022, and then they revised it upward in May of 2022. And you can see 
revenue came in at 80 million approximately, which was far lower than the revised estimate upward. Uh, EPS came in at 34 cents for the year, uh, you know, barely half, not even half of their revised up upward on guidance. EBITDA, same thing, and their sales for tons uh, as well, uh, substantially missed. They were looking at about 1 million tons. They only did about 628,000. And now management did provide a comment for the underperformance, and they said, when the war in Ukraine broke out, there were concerns about a potential shortage of potash. In reality, however, the market was oversupplied. Throughout 2022, many farmers refrained from buying potash due to the unprecedented soaring prices, resulting in 15% Brazilian potash imports and, con and consequently a record inventory buildup. In Brazil, the last quarter of 2022 saw the convergence of several unfavorable factors, including pre- and post-electoral uh, tensions that drastically reduced investments by farmers, and moreover, Two years of bad weather severely affected coffee harvests in Brazil, leading coffee growers to reduce expenditure on inputs. Now, looking forward, uh, the forward guidance also doesn't look that great. So in January of 2022, they provided uh, their sales target in tons of 1.4 million. They revised that upward to 2 million in May of 2022. And more recently, they ended up giving a range of about 800,000 to 1.2 million tons, uh, which isn't that great. And as well, they are using a price of uh, $450 uh, US for potassium chloride here. Um, so keep that in mind. And we can look here on the next slide. This is what the price of potassium chloride has been doing or potash. And, you know, you can see here that we are down 50% year over year. So my takeaway here, management did a poor job gauging its production guidance, but realistically, I cannot blame them. It is extremely difficult to gauge the forward financials of a business when, it when its operations are extremely reliant on a volatile commodity. And like I said, just look at the price of potassium chloride here where it's down over 50% year over year. And everyone out there was saying, oh, it's going to be nothing but a gravy train for us because of the Ukraine war. Well, you know, it didn't pan out that way. And the market clearly didn't like the reduction in the 2023 guidance, where even using the midpoint of its forward EBITDA guidance, the stock still trades at about 11 times enterprise value to EBITDA. Now, the company is expanding its operations, but with tough comparables, headwinds in the sector, and reduced guidance, it is not surprising that the stock took a tumble. And let's uh, bring it over to you guys. Let's see if Ryan picked up anything that I pronounced <laughs> I wrong. I hope so. No, I, I mean, I think it, it's just the, the guidance That's range Ryan's there. Greatest skill. I, 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 I will actually say thank you for, uh, for, for covering that company because I actually remember we got several questions about it um back when the the outlook for potassium and potash was was very strong um and the valuations on it looked incredibly incredibly attractive um our main thing was just that you know it's very commodity price sensitive um you know it's 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 difficult to really get a, a handle on where the earnings are going um and this is just a great example of how that you know there, there is a certain story that was being told at a time that made, and it made sense. Um, and that story just turned out not to be true because there's so many moving parts 
to the macroeconomic machinery, right? And it's it's difficult to understand, you know, exactly from the supply to the demand to like how the industry or how people adapt to it. The same can be said of natural gas. Um, it was said that, that like the story was that due to the war, you know, the natural gas prices were going to skyrocket. And they did for a time, but since they peaked in late last year, they've, they've absolutely crazy. Yeah, it, so. buy, I think part of the lesson there is buying something on a based on a one-time event that may not be sustainable is always a recipe for disaster. I mean, it's just, you know, you may get a momentary bump, but you end up usually lower, significantly lower than you were investing in a company based on that um, a one-time type of event. Um, what really caught my eye in their guidance for this year is the range of earnings per share. They're looking at four cents to 29 cents. Uh, so the stock right now is either trading at 9.17 times the 29 cents, or it could be at 66.5 times the four cents, which they you know could earn next year. I mean, to be honest, when you have a range that is that wide, like it's a 600 and something percent increase from four cents to 29 cents, there is hardly a point of putting out guidance. And it, it kind of illustrates the you know, the variance in a commodity-based company. We talked about that right at the start here, how, how, how high it can be and how, uh, how dependent they are on the underlying commodity. And in this case, it shows you the variance that they believe is within the year. I would say there's also a chance that they fall outside of that guidance even, either on the high end or on the low end. They may lose money this year if, if the fertilizer price, you know, really goes against them. And again, that is the, it shows the difficulty in putting a valuation and a forecast on this company because we would value it based on forecasted cash flow going forward. That company itself, who has intimate knowledge of their business, has a massive range of possible outcomes over the course of this year for their business. Um, it is very difficult to then price them ourselves or for any analyst team to go out there and price that business, which means they will perpetually and should these type of companies trade at very low valuations. So, I mean, that is the issue with these businesses. And some people bought into the story that Aaron was talking about and got bit in the, bit in the ass over the last year on this company. Yeah. And I'll add one thing too. So the CEO of the company reached out to me on LinkedIn about like late 2021. And he was telling me like, you know, make sure that you're looking at, you're following our story in 2022. And, you know, I, I kind of responded with him, you know, we kind of go back and forth. He's telling us, you know, he, he tells me this is our 2022 EPS guidance of 50 cents. Check it out, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, in July of last year, I ended up asking him to set up an analyst call because we wanted we wanted to do some more due diligence into the company. And after, you know, going back and forth, messaging with me, telling me all about the story, when I tried to set up this analyst call in, you know, July of 2022, you know, he didn't say anything to me. So, you know, he just dropped off. So it was like, you know, when the story was high flying and doing well, you know, he was pushing it out there. But all of a sudden, when things maybe turned a little negative, um, you know, not the best sign. Not the best sign, no. no. Okay, well, that's going to close off our show this week. Um, I thank everybody for listening. Keep smashing that subscribe button on YouTube. Go there, smash that. If you like this content, we'll continue to provide it on uh, iTunes as well. Rate and review us. Subscribe to us on our iTunes. Keep those questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take segment or any other 
uh, individual investment questions you have, we'll answer those on the show on a weekly basis. As always, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.